Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to These Go to 11. We are shaking things up a little bit today. Um, our usual host, Nathan Bell, is home, possibly dying. Uh, I shouldn't joke about that. That would be very sad because he's a wonderful man and has, you know, a family. But uh, it ties in nicely to our theme. Instead of Nathan, I have uh, with me Alex Police. He's a gentleman you may know of if you listen to the Gut Check podcast or, uh, you know, you may have seen him popping in with me in a little uh, Facebook Live uh, on the These Go to 11 page uh, on uh, from... The Doc and Devo conference. Oh, I should also mention that I'm Zach Bartles. That's that's who I am. <laughs> this is good radio. Um, and and if you need to know anything about Alex, it's that we are sitting in my smoke room. It's called the Nakatomi Smoke Room, um, and it's a. I think of it as a rather nice kind of escape, a reprieve from all things uh, that would sap my energy and and kind of drag me down. But it's a room that is full of, if nothing else. Coasters. Uh, there's one here. That's <laughs> two, three, four, five, six, seven. I see eight over there. Um, oh, there used to be four more, but I think my wife brought them up to her. her oh, and you quickly made the. I was going to point out that uh, that though this room <laughs> with four chairs in it had eight coasters, that Alex's beer was directly on the coffee table. Um, well, on the topic of nothing matters, and yeah, I was exactly. the I mean, table does not matter to me, <laughs> right? This is this is the second best table from IKEA. That's right. How dare I <laughs> get off that? You're going to break it. All right, but but uh, I want to also point out a couple things too uh, that are not related to nihilism. Um, the the imminent death of of, of Nathan Bell is uh, related to it because the you know 100 percent mortality rate amongst people is is a driving engine uh, of uh, of nihilism but but Alex I want to kind of redeem people's picture of you in their heads by pointing out that you sir yeah. are wearing the gut check summer of gut check ride the lightning t-shirt of course and I wear it every day that's marvelous yeah. you wear it every day because nothing like, matters I don't change my clothes <laughs> and also we need to give a shout out to missional wear. And uh, I, I've been asked every week now for six to seven months um, what I'm enjoying from missional wear is if I make an order every week and like rush out like a little boy to the to the post box and, and post rip box. open the, uh, the the packaging and pull out. But but you, to my knowledge, uh-huh. have never been asked to, to kind of indicate what you like about missional wear. Uh-huh. So why don't you do that now? Okay. Uh, one of my best friends in the whole world uh, bought me a shirt from Mission Aware with my favorite theologian of all time, uh, one J.C. Ryle. Oh, he's the man. Yeah, yeah. The man, the myth, the legend. He's not a myth, though. He's, he was, he, he's really guy. He's dead now. Actually, but, you, uh, you can be a myth and not be fake. I mean, a myth doesn't imply not real. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting lectured, so you know we're having a good time. Like the cre- <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interject at no, all. No, it's fine. I don't want you to get all thin about it. You got any more? <laughs> no, go ahead. Us, us thin folk, you know, <laughs> offense anytime we can get it. Um, uh, and I gotta say, decide for the gut check, ride the lightning t-shirt, it's it's my second favorite t-shirt. Nice. It's nice. my second favorite t-shirt. But you don't ever wear it because you're always wearing that one. 
Right. Well, I long ago just said, you know, forget morality, forget everything. Nothing matters. Save it now. Save it now. Well, now I don't even know. I don't know if there's anything worth saying. Is the thing. All right, What's so, really worth saying? So Missional Wear sells a t-shirt with J.C. Ryle is the takeaway, and you should go there if that is of interest to you, and go to www.missionalwear.com. That's W-E-A-R. I've started mm-hmm. telling people. Because when you hear wear at the end of something, I think W-A-R-E. So I don't know if it's a pun or not. I think it's kind of a pun. Or maybe my mind's just, you know, it goes to the wrong place. But I think like software, shareware, that's a, that's a thing from the 90s. Um, you know, missional wear, but it's W-E-A, because you wear it. Um, or you used to, before you went just to the gut check t-shirt. So go there and get yourself, uh, I understand, we had told people last week that they were all out, it's too late, you can't get your bust. Um, and I'm not, I'm not talking about like... Well, they're busty folks over there, bu- so I assume. <laughs> you can't get, yeah, you can't get your like, uh... A bust of Spurgeon or or uh, Luther. It's too late. The Kickstarter's over. But then I heard on Doc and Devo from New Zealand, no less, that oh, they yeah. still have some available. And uh, you know, I don't know. I haven't talked to El Jefe in a little while, so I'm going to assume Joe and Fofo know what they're talking about. And so maybe you can get those, but you got to move. Go quick. Do you want to be the only kid on your block hmm. who doesn't have? A bust of of you know John Knox and John Bunyan on your uh, you know either on your desk or up on the you know on the what do you call the thing above the where you put the fire? What's that thing called? Uh, a mantle. The mantle. Yeah, on yeah. the mantle. Yeah. <laughs> you know it doesn't matter. Right. Nothing what matters. Does. Yeah. Nothing matters. So. But every kid will have one of those. Every true reformed kid will will have one of those under the Christmas tree, guaranteed. I'm going to make an observation. Yeah. Actually, first of all, okay. I'm going to observe that your <laughs> your pipe is comedically long, and yeah. I always love it when you smoke that pipe. Yeah. And I always love it that you bring all your pipes. You're like, yeah. I want to smoke yeah. this one, then yeah. this one, then this. But but that one, the first time you and I ever hung out, you pulled that thing out, and I and you were intimidated. <laughs> you were, you, you, yeah, yeah, you were a little bit, uh, what's this guy got going? I, I was, yeah. I, w- I was like, who is, who is this guy that he's got a, that a, a pipe that's like six feet long, but, uh, the smell coming out of it, it's an aromatic tobacco blend and it smells very good. And I've got one of my favorite cigars going, which is the Kentucky fire cured. So some, uh, little, little Drew Estates action. And that's one of my favorite smells. These two things are not meshing well. So you keep your smoke on your side of the room? All right, I'll try. I'll keep my smoke yeah. on my side of the room. Yeah. Um, but what we want to try to do tonight um, is to recreate a conversation that we had a year ago, which is always easy, you know, because it was a good conversation. We want to get all the magic from that, but also additional um, and deeper insights. But it was about basically nihilism as not as a philosophy. I mean, I, I remember reading nihilists and, and, and philosophers that you know they dabbled in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen the new Freddie Mercury uh, biopic, but but I'm sure there's some some nihilism threads woven into that. But but we were talking about the real pop version that you will just find in someone's not a choice, right? Just like 
kind of permeating, especially young people's worldviews. Yeah. And I I was aghast when you were telling me some stuff from your past. Mm-hmm. And you you were like, dude, it makes perfect sense. I didn't That's know Jesus. Yeah. And you kind of walked me like three steps from no Jesus to huffing the crow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... Which is the end of nihilism itself. <laughs> the end meaning it's the ultimate goal, or meaning like once you've done it, you're like, oh, screw nihilism. This is so gross. A little both. <laughs> I, I think you need to tell the, the listeners, because one of them probably knows what Huffing the Crow is. Yeah. And I think, it's, I think it is emblematic of what we were talking about. And you really gave me some stuff to think about, and I still chew it over. And, and so tell the people, tell the good people. What it means to huff the crow. Okay. Well, first of all, if you know what huffing the crow is, you're not one of the good people. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, uh, as a youth, I listened to uh, a certain a certain genre of music, very angry, very loud, very pointless, very nihilistic. Uh, and one of these bands had a, had a pre-show ritual that they would do on stage in which they would... They would uh, uh, Procure uh, uh, a bird from the side of the road, and they'd kind of, you know, jar it up. And uh, that evening at the show, they'd open it up, and they'd take big old whiffs, and they'd vomit on each other on stage. And uh, it kind of became uh, a flag to wave as a as a fan of this band, much like much like snorting ants. In the Ozzy Osbourne, you know, side of things, we would. Huff I the was crow. not aware that that was a thing either. Yeah. Ozzy himself or his fans or what would snort ants? Well, I mean, the story is is that he snorted a line of ants at one point, and you can find videos all over the web of uh, other youths and rascals doing it as well. <laughs> now, what happens when you snort ants? They would still be alive yeah, in your yeah, sinuses. It bites you up good. Inside your sinus, yeah. and then they come back out? Or? I have no idea. You're going to have to watch the videos, I think. No, I'm not going to watch the videos. Well, you should. Any more than I'm going to watch a video of somebody huffing the crow. Now, you say earlier in the day and then that night, my understanding was there was a crow yeah. per tour. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's, that, that is the case. So it got real ripe over the course of months mm-hmm. in a jar, in an airtight it got, jar. It got worse and worse and worse, and that was kind of the, I don't know, kind of their thing. It was their gimmick. Now, that and is, the masks and the cussing. Right now, the band is called Slipknot. Yeah, I remember. I to say that. You didn't want to. You didn't want to out them. Oh, I didn't know. If, <laughs> you were going to get sued. I don't know. Oh, you can say band names for oh, sure. Okay. All right. Um, I remember seeing Slipknot on Conan O'Brien yeah. back when when he was doing uh, Late Night with Conan O'Brien in the late '90s, early '00s. Um, probably in the year 2000 because it was. The, the period that I watched it was when they were doing in the year 2000 and then they would do predictions that was, that was weird alright oh dude it was spectacular um, I meant you doing that was weird oh me doing that just yeah, now just out of nowhere that, that, that you were like weird. why are you singing in a yeah. falsetto voice well because I've never heard that before oh, I have a whole book of them um, you can borrow it you don't borrow okay. books unless you can write in them I know um, yeah you're not going to want to write in this one but uh, so it was it was the year 2000 18 years ago and I remember turning to my friend and saying something that's a very old man thing to say, which was, I didn't say this just sounds like noise, but what I said was it sounds like they're just barking. Yeah. 
And uh, what, what, what was happening was there was a couple of guys sliding into their mid-20s, early to mid-20s, who didn't get the new, what was happening to rock music, right? Ah, uh, yeah. I liked my Green Day and my... So you say uh, rock, you mean like punk. I mean, well, it's pop punk. That's not punk. That's not... I have a couple of Green Day albums that are still plunk, but uh, Kurt Plunk is one plunk. plunk they're still plunk, but but uh, no, I, you know, give me a little uh, Harvey Danger. That's a deep cut. It's a one-hit wonder. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, it was all very melodic, and it was in its own way nihilistic, but it didn't despair about it. It was like eat, drink, and be happy, not eat, drink, and just kill yourself. And, and so my point is, in the midst of this, I'm watching. You know, Conan O'Brien, who's got, like, the pimp bot and all this goofy stuff going, he's also got this band on. It's not like you had stumbled into this really harsh subculture and this really obscure, like, you know, Nazi mosh pit band that nobody knew about. This is pretty mainstream. Slipknot's an ama- insanely They're very uh, popular still band. now. Yeah. And, yeah. and this is what was happening at their shows. And the, and the point of this podcast is not like the uh, El Mancone, uh Hell's Bells, let's talk about how bad rock and roll music is for the, the children. It's So this is something that you and your friends, ostensibly, were really into. Yeah. You told me about it sometime way back in uh, 2017. And when I said, dude... That is so messed up. You were really in a dark place. Yeah. You walked me from that to why it made perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, it, if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because it's just it's just putting putting a theme of your life uh, to music. Uh, at that point in time, that was the theme of my life. Why does anything matter? And I felt that no one could give me a a well thought out answer. No one could give me an answer at that time, or or not an answer that I was willing to listen to, uh, and 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 that was lyrically and sound wise what I was feeling inside, uh, anger and aggression and but but not aimed at any particular thing. Oftentimes aimed at yourself and just people, but people because they're people, not because of a particular thing that they do. And it was just, it, it, was, it was just, to me, the sound of anger and the sound of what I was feeling. So when you would watch that and listen to that mm-hmm. and experience that, did it, like, tap into the anger and make it more intense? Or did it assuage it for a little while and kind of, that's how you dealt with it, you know? Or, or what, what's the... I felt, I, I felt like it was a way to get anger and aggression out, especially going to, like, uh, a live show, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, a mosh pit or something where where it's okay to hit other people and push other people and this and that and it's encouraged and and I felt that got a lot of anger and aggression out of me and also listening to the music again because it was what I was feeling inside that I maybe didn't have the capacity to artistically express or as artistic as that kind of music is, I didn't have a way to get that across. I didn't have any kind of platform. I didn't have any kind of ability. I couldn't explain it to my parents. Uh, so, so, so that kind of music, I, I mean, 
maybe I'll say maybe I shared the platform of Slipknot through through listening to it and telling other people that I listened to it and wearing the t-shirts and this and that. People knew that I was angry and edgy. Uh, and that's maybe something I was looking for. Now, so you weren't wearing the gut check um, ride the lightning shirt back then. No, yet. no. But uh, so I, I don't know, Alex. Police in what year are we talking? Two thousand seven, seven, eight, eight, nine. Eight. Okay. Yeah. I don't know him. I. What's funny to me is I was here pastoring the same church. Yeah. At the same time, maybe, maybe I saw you and, and uh, silently judged you. I don't know. Um, but if I were to see you walking down the street, yeah. what what is the message you're throwing out with your whole your whole vibe and persona? I uh, just just kind of leave me alone, and I'll leave you alone, and there's no reason for us to ever talk or connect because I know I'm not going to like you, and I know you're not going to like me. But it was that way with everybody. Because, hmm. again, my mindset was, you, you know, you don't need anybody. You don't need anything. You know? Very, very you small, tight group of friends? You just, uh, six or seven. Mm-hmm. Six or seven total in in all of middle school and all of high school. Girlfriend? And I did. I guess I would never really call it a girlfriend. We would never really put, don't put a label on it. You know, uh-huh. that, was, that was kind of the, the name of the game. Everyone dating everyone. And, and you know. the idea is kind of uh, that would be assigning too much meaning to it? Or, or well, I mean, assigning too much meaning to something that didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Because sex was just sex and feelings was just feelings. And they're, and they're there one day and then they will be gone the next. Uh-huh. Uh, because inevitably you're going to die. And I remember at the time uh, that, that was all I really cared about was living for the now. Living for the immediate moment. And if I could get a cheap thrill with a girl or whatever, that's that's what you do. That's what that's what it was all about. Was was just feeling something, good or bad. And when you describe this, yeah. clearly, this is the kind of thing Paul is talking about when he quotes um, the the heathen poet mm-hmm. in First Corinthians when he says, "If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die." And uh, elsewhere, there's a similar quote attributed, eat, drink, and be merry. That's often how people remember that verse. Um, And it's the same sort of thing. Like, now there's a moment. Suck all the gratification out of it you can because that's all you have. But infusing that, because you know that's hopeless, is still this kind of sadness, hopelessness. And And, you know, it sounds like Every rock star who ever blew their brains out. It sounds like, right. um, you know, the kind of sadness that can exist in the midst of excess, but it also can exist in, you know, just like a teenager's bedroom and, and you know, where, wherever you find people who don't know Jesus. Well, I mean, especially with a teenager who had everything. I had a loving family and, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up in an abusive household. <laughs> I, I, this wasn't, uh, you know... A kid being abused and not knowing how to deal with it. I wasn't, out I wasn't right. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't picked on in school or anything. It just. It just seemed the most natural thing at the time to me was to act and be this way. Uh, and and I think that's true of a lot of rock stars. You know, I mean, like you, you know, like you said, you look. You look at the people of Slipknot. To this day, 
these people are millionaires. They have everything they want, and yet look at the same kind of music that they're still producing, and they're still pushing out this anger and this aggression. And I think it all comes down to, I mean, you're searching for something, and you're trying to fill, you find, find things to fill that void that you know you have, uh, just like the hedonists. The hedonists were doing the exact same thing. Let me drink as much wine as I can and eat as much food as I can until I throw up and pass out and orgies all day and this and that. And I'm just trying to fill a void. Uh, but the thing is, is it's it's always going to return empty to you, which is why I think the rock star ends up blowing their brains out or kids end up blowing their brains out and suicide rates continue to soar because the music and, or the drugs in a lot of cases, they're not filling a void, you know? They're just kind of numbing it, but when you come down from the high or you come down from wherever you are, it's still going to be there. Still going to be emptiness. Still going to be nothing. Uh, uh, and and I think that's what made nihilism make so much sense to me. Was I looked around? Did it really make sense? Or sure, sure. Really? Well, well, I mean, with the logical connectors that I was making, I saw I saw older, angry atheists whose whose arguments didn't make any sense because all of their arguments were based on societal good. Uh, right? Uh, there's a fantastic debate that uh, uh, James White did with... Uh, it's this one debate on uh, atheism. And the guy stands up and he makes a bunch of arguments for, you know, uh, still being able to have God's laws and apply them to secular society. But this time it's just for the good of society. Well, we don't rape and kill because society tells us that that wouldn't be productive. And we don't steal because society tells us that wouldn't be productive. But someone who's actually willing to take the next step and say, but why should I care? Why should I care about society? You're not giving me a reason. You're not pointing me towards anything. Why is the suffering of someone who's not me better to me than the non-suffering of someone who's not me? Why? 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 Yeah. Why is, why is life better than death? And that was the only question that I, I really wanted answered mm-hmm. by somebody, and no one seemed to be able to give me an adequate answer. You know, I I grew up in a very uh, American Christian household where you only went to church every so often when there was a major holiday or somebody died, and they weren't really able to give me any answers mm-hmm. or anything that meant anything, you know. Uh, and And that's... I guess to make a long story short, yeah, it did make sense to me because because at least it was a answer. Maybe maybe it was circular reasoning, but it, but it, it, at least it was something. And it's cohesive. It holds together. I don't mean anything. No one means anything. Right. So I'll just uh, you know forget to eat, forget to do this, and forget to do that, and not bathe and not this because what do I care? You know, mm. I don't care about you. You know, oh, you have to graduate high school. You have to get into a good college. Why? You know, you know, you know, you know. Just keep asking that question: Why, why, why? Like an annoying child, you know, who wants to keep keep going down this rabbit trails of why, and eventually you have to just give them the because I said so. Uh-huh. But but what authority do you have? What you're my parent? Yeah, the problem is when you're the so? three year old is doing that. Eventually, it comes back to yeah, mom says so. Mm-hmm. When you're seventeen, yeah, you're in this weird. It's a really weird time because you're recognizing you do know about. 
you know more than your parents about some things. Even a few things that are important. Most of what you know more than your parents about is, is, is fleeting and stupid. But, but you know, you're realizing they're fallible. And now all of a sudden, this whole kind of lattice of, well, there's a belief system around me. And there's a cultural kind of uh, structure around me. But you can step back and sh- scratch your chin and go, yeah, but is that even worth anything? Or is it just there to make us feel good and forget that these questions exist? I, even as somebody who was about to start Bible college, I had kind of an existential crisis around the same thing. It didn't lead me anywhere near where it led you. Um, but I think that it's always you always got to sh- struggle that at one point. And, and if you don't, before you kind of become an adult, your faith might crumble under the weight of it later on. I, would, I want a quick, so that Nathan doesn't get angry emails, yeah. Yeah. just mention that both you and I recognize that also part of the reason that people commit suicide is because of mental illness. Certainly not. It's oh, not, you know, yeah. if they had Jesus, they wouldn't. That's, um, that's definitely something I definitely resonate with. I mean, I mean, I, I, spent, I spent a month of my, of my sophomore summer in, a, in an institution for these exact problems and we went down the route of medication and all that because it, I don't want to say that I developed necessarily later on a depression but I mean I was diagnosed depressed and and a lot of this stuff obviously didn't help right right know? yeah because it was just telling me that it's normal and you you should feel this way and you should this and you should that because everyone does and, uh, at the end of the day what's the difference do you think between I mean, your parents at that time. Um, I know. I know your old man's a good guy because he's given me cigars, and he likes the Christian gentleman smoking companion. Yeah. But not just your parents, but everyone who's just kind of in American church life, good citizens. You know, they they're not bothered by these questions, and I guarantee when you started posing them, they were not only not equipped to answer them, they were like. Perplexed by the fact that you had them, right? Well, is it that you were more answer. thoughtful than most people, or more honest, or more inquisitive, or what, what do you think leads some people, you know, to to wear all black and you know paint their nails and do their makeup, try to make people yeah. shudder as you walk by, and you know, you know, be intimidating and scary, and other people are just like, I can ignore that. I can, you know, if I buy a bigger boat. Then I'll be happy, knowing when I buy that bigger boat, what I'm going to do is set my sights on something else, and say when I accomplish that, then I'll be happy. Well, I, I mean, I think it. I think it stems obviously from the exact same place. It's 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 a lack of fulfillment, and I was just finding my fulfillment not in big boats and and seashells and and, and retirement homes and all that. I was I would you know. The American mentality of the retirement—you know—you're you're doing everything you can do now to get somewhere. Sixty years later, where you're trying to get is the villages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, if you want to be sad, maybe, 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 maybe there are nihilists in the village. The villages are just full of nihilism. Yeah. Right? That's, I don't. I've never been there. Um, you, you think that? I mean, is there a? a there's got to be something though that makes people respond in different ways to the same sense of the dead aren't raised and we all die. I mean, maybe maybe we all kind of already know that deep down. Maybe. Maybe that's something that we've already, at, at least in our heart of hearts, have made the connection to and, and, and 
pre-salvation and pre-being given a new heart uh, hate that fact, certainly, and are trying to just bury it, bury it beneath things, and and come out and, and come out with some kind of philosophy that will allow us to live the way that we want to live, and just God can leave me alone. And I think, and I think for some people, especially the American Christian who's buying into largely health, wealth, and prosperity, um, mm-hmm. which is definitely where I came from. You know, Joel Steen, and all you got to do it is just think it and proclaim it. It's going to happen in your life. Uh, which is solid theology. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, it's 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 certainly it's certainly a way to to get away from God's true calling on your life. Uh, in the same way that me dressing up in black and not wanting people to talk to me because maybe maybe deep down I know that they might have a philosophy or something to say that could change my mind. Mm. And I don't want that. That's not what I want. I'm comfortable where I am, and that's where I want to stay. Uh, so misery doesn't love company. It just wants to be left alone. Only, only the right company. Only, yeah. Only, only, miserable, only, yeah, miserable, no, only yeah. miserable people. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so, I don't know, man. So, I, so maybe it's that some people don't think hard enough about it. And and tell me if this rings true. I'm not trying to answer my own question. I'm just thinking maybe some people they don't want to ask the hard questions because there is a very convenient cultural kind of vaguely spiritual notion out there that if I'm kind of a good guy, in the end I'll go to heaven. And I'm not going to think hard about that. I'm going to, maybe I pray once in a while, I acknowledge the, you know, the guy upstairs, and then that way every time I'm lying in bed and my own mortality comes to my mind, I can push it to the back with, eh, I've been. I haven't robbed any banks. I, I think I'll do more good than bad with my life. And there's this kind of um, Pelagian, merit-based Saint Peter at the pearly gates checking his clipboard theology floating around in America. You know, floating through the transom. I can just sort of grab onto when I need it. It's just Santa Claus. Yeah, but it's just, it's just a more adult version of Santa Claus. Do I mean? Do people really believe that? I don't know. I think well, at the I end of the day, the they don't. Maybe they do. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe they do, and that's why they're not. They're never going to question what they believe because maybe they believe it down deep, just and and there's no reason to question it because I already believe it, and this is what I believe, and leave me alone. Uh, and 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 I think that that's how I exactly was with nihilism because no one could give me a satisfac- satisfactory answer and. This is what I believe, and just leave me alone. Uh, the problem is, is when you're a youth and you dress like that, people aren't going to leave you alone because they get scared that you're the next national tragedy. So you know, it's it's almost it's almost self defeating. Did they bring you because, into the? Uh, because by peacocking like that, uh, which you know, uh, you you bring a lot of attention. You bring a lot of attention to yourself. Uh, so yeah, you know, I had a, I had, I had the designated counselor you had to meet with once a week in school and this and that. I was going to ask if you played the ungame. Did you ever play the ungame? I don't know what that is. Oh, it's a game with no winners or losers, but a lot of cards that ask questions about your thoughts and feelings and stuff. I had to play it a few times, um, in grade school with the counselor. Mm. I remember throwing, 
This is what you do when you're going to be a preacher when you grow up. Yeah. I got so angry at a girl, I threw a handful of pebbles at her and it hit her in like the eye in the temple. Got her. Showed her. Yeah. yeah. Don't and mess with me. Like, I think something might be wrong with young Zach. Yeah. And we played the ungame for, for a whole uh, year every once in a while. And I remember thinking, this is my punishment? Get out of like math and social studies to go and uh, chat with, uh, frankly, a very pretty uh, lady over here. <laughs> um, Who I don't want to throw pebbles at. Right. <laughs> I never dream of throwing pebbles at that pretty face. Ever. Yeah. Nobody better throw pebbles. <laughs> or I'll throw pebbles at them. And Mrs. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember her name. What what you said like l- earlier this summer, though, yeah. that reminded me of, of this whole connection. Uh-huh. The, and, and the notion that by huffing the crow, you were being kind of more honest about your worldview and its foundation than the person who, you know goes about their life and gets a, you know as many promotions as they can and and smiles for the family photos and stuff. Mm-hmm. You you said and just in passing, you said of course when people don't believe in Jesus, they're going to eat the tide pods. Yeah. Which which I guess is kind of the same sort of action. Right, because because at the end of the day, if I don't believe in God, I I believe in myself as God. I've I've always bought into that line of apologetical thought that I'm just seeking to worship myself above all all creatures and everything in creation and the creator itself. So so the the currency of the day is attention, right? We have plenty to eat and we have plenty to drink. Mm. So it isn't as fun to get together in orgies and and, and to drink and, and to eat as much as you can anymore. So the very nature of hedonism has changed, and now the worst thing that you can do is die a nobody. The worst thing you can mm-hmm. do is go on in your life and be nobody. So if I have to swallow some toxic chemicals of soap or jump out of a moving car and sing a song while I run along and get hit by other cars, that's what I'll do because it'll get me clicks on the internet. It'll get me attention. And that's what I'm really craving. So, you know, when I see people, especially on the news, and, and you know, they're... They're just trying to do their job, but you know they're they're just shocked and they're asking questions. Why? Why is this happening? And it's what else are these kids going to do? They don't believe in the political system, which is why most of them don't vote. You know, we we know that's statistically true. Uh, Alex, they I have, heard they all voted this week. I, no, it's not true. Right? <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, they. They don't have anything else that really matters other than themselves. And the only way for them to matter is by getting shares and likes and clicks on social media. And they have to build a platform. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all platform building. Very Chaz Marius. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's the one who taught them to do it. <laughs> yeah. That, aren't you glad? And, and I, I realize I'm talking to a guy yeah. who's, who's adolescence and, and early... Uh, and, and, and teenage years were marked by some of the bleakest stuff out there. But aren't you glad that you lived through that period of your life before social media had taken over everything? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. Gl- I don't know if I should say that because people can look at my. There are some. Just like a GeoCities account or something to look at. No, well, it's on Facebook, buddy. 
There are some well-aged photos of myself with some interesting hair choices and some interesting nail choices. So you you did it was, you you did live a little bit in the early social media period well, I mean, as a I mean, as a I mean, young teen. Sure, sure. Okay. The way that all teenagers do. You're so wise, Alex. I always forget that you're like 15 years younger than me. Oh, here's the thing. When I was yeah. when I was 18, Facebook wasn't even. I mean, like like Zuckerberg was like like in fourth grade or something. Um, and, and I often think, thank God, man, all the dumb things I did are not preserved for posterity. Um, and, you know, like, there's no video clips. There's no, there's nothing. There's, there's pictures that were taken and developed uh, chemically in a booth and then handed to me. And if I didn't <laughs> like them, I threw them away and they were gone forever. Yeah. Um, but you, so so you had kind of that, that aspect, but I don't feel like youth culture had shifted yet to that being the currency, as you put it, of, of the well, day. Well, I mean, you certainly, didn't, you certainly didn't put all of that online. I was still doing a lot of dumb stuff, but, I mean, I wasn't putting it online, you okay. know, because, because I, think, I think a large part of my worldview, again, was, was not wanting to be noticed and not wanting people to look at me. And, you know, because, again, I'm trying to be as unfriendly as possible. So what you did, you went into your closet and you just ate the Tide Pods by yourself. <laughs> yeah, which again, you know, really played into the, the factors around. It was just one long, just, just soap bender. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Dude, the no. thing, I think that when we were talking about this was like the week that everyone was watching and showing like on morning news, the videos, mm-hmm. with like super cuts of people jumping out of the car. Mm-hmm. Now, the, it, the thing was, you jump out... You have a song going. Your car is... I think your car is idling. just idling, but it's in drive. So it's yeah. going forward. You dance alongside the car, and then you hop back in. Yeah. But no one made it back into their car. Yeah. There were like three or four real real daredevils who you know, were able to pull it off uh, before people really broke it down into an exact science where they were able to do all sorts of fun stuff. Uh but largely, it ended up with kids getting their legs ran over by an idling car or hit by other cars that they didn't see coming because they were too busy on their phone getting it all ready to record or whatever. I, I don't. I don't get yeah. into uh, condemning, laughing at, mocking entire generations. I think that's the stuff of um, old men, old people. Well, old and people. We know, but they're not old. Oh, I'm an old man. But listen, ah. that is. I think it's just the stuff of unthoughtful people. Right. I think I really think it is. But it doesn't speak well for a whole generation to be able to run themselves over with a car. I, I had never heard of that happening yeah. ever before, ever, until it happened like 12 times in one week. Yeah. Like, I got run over by a car. Who was driving? Me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, or, or it's a really great accomplishment because no one ever, no one else has done it. <laughs> and if we think of... Uh, the nature of accomplishments, that's all you're trying to do is do something that no one else has done. You can pop open one of those Guinness Books of World Records, and I think every other one you're going, that's really stupid. Right, That's right. really dumb. Why get shot in the belly with a cannon? Why? Is that a thing? Yeah, there's the guys that, that just get all that blubber up front, and then they just get shot in the gut with a cannonball by a cannon and absorb it, uh-huh. you know? And you go, okay, cool, I guess, because... No one else is crazy enough to do it, but it's still pretty stupid. It's a stupid thing. Yeah, or even like eating 289 tacos in an hour yes, or something, right. like all these things that, yeah. It doesn't further anything. 
It's not. It's not an accomplishment. <laughs> it is. It is the sort of thing. Here, here's the thing. Like you've seen Cool Hand Luke, I assume. Oh, never mind. No, you, you, you're not. You're not much of a film guy. You should see film, Cool Hand Luke, even if you see it in, in, in segments, because it's one of the best movies that has ever been made. And it takes place in a, a, a prison camp where these guys are on a chain gang during the day, and then at night they're left to their own devices, and they're all quite hopeless. And one weekend, in order just to have something to do, uh, Paul Newman's character says he's going to eat 50 eggs in an hour. And, uh, and, he, and he does it. And there's this, there, it, it, the whole thing is, I mean, break the thing down as far as you want. It holds up. But there's a very Payetta kind of Christ pose, and there's all sorts of stuff going on. But, but with just that, I mean, when people are acting in their daily lives the same way people are acting in a prison because there is nothing for them in life yeah. that tells you something. Well, it, it should tell you something unless you're going to take the easy out and just, again, go to the generational argument and just say that this whole generation is just stupid and this whole generation is right. uh, actually being listened to. Or the down, parents have failed or whatever. Right. Sit down and evaluate why somebody's doing what they're doing. And and a lot of times I think it's going to be that they do have a void that they are honestly, truly trying to fill. And this is where we need to come forward, I think, as Christians and and offer them the thing that's going to fill that void. I, I, was, I was ministered to by my next door neighbor my entire youth. You know, he was, he was a homeschooled kid. He was a kid that I quite frankly, in high school, wouldn't get caught dead with, right? He was the, he was the secret friend that, you know, <laughs> that no one else could know, right? And, I mean, that dude preached the gospel to me every single time we hung out. And it was awkward and dreadful, and I was a jerk uh-huh. 100% of the time, all the time. Until one night I was having a total breakdown again, and I... I was I was really really close to just saying you know to 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 edging over the cliff again and saying you know kind of sayonara to the world what what what's the point because no one's been able to offer me anything I graduated high school and everyone told me everything's going to get better after that nope certainly didn't now I'm just a layabout you know uh, with with a girlfriend who's working as hard as she can to both coddle me acting like a small child sitting down playing video games all day and work and make car payments and try and make enough money so that we can get an apartment uh, and and I was having just a total breakdown as a person and I hit this guy up at 2 in the morning over Facebook and he says get dressed I'll meet you outside in 5 minutes and we talked till about 7 in the morning went to IHOP got breakfast and that dude prayed with me and ministered to me and just expressed the gospel in the most meaningful way to me at that time, which was hope to the hopeless, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that was, you know, that moment, I got to say, has meant more to me than a lot of other moments in my life, uh, without a doubt. Not only that he was willing to, you know, get up at two in the morning and come to me and do all this and do all that, but 
seeing the faithfulness that that he had, never giving up, never counting me as a swine, never doing this, just mm-hmm. constantly pouring into me, and 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 that's a reward, you know, you know, you know, you know, well weeped, I think, for me, you know, being able to see the faithfulness of actually preaching and preaching the gospel into someone's life, even when they don't see a point to it, and they're being openly hostile and angry at you, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that really taught me a lot about faithful evangelism to those who are hurting most, which, you know, not everyone's going to put on the black makeup and, you know, you know, you know, you know, dye their hair to, to express inside pain. Not everyone's going to do that. It may be, you know, your next door neighbor who is, you know, walking his dog every morning and doing this and just li- living the regular life, you know. Right. Maybe anyone around you. And it's and you you just never know. You never know when that seed's been planted. You never know that that you're coming along and watering that seed. What's interesting is in the scriptures, it's clear to me that the person who is um, how many pipes is that? You on the last pipe? I'm four. Four pipes. But I mean, you're smoking pipe number four. Yeah. So you just smoke it until you until I get to the dreads, and then you just. And you've already got it packed on the next one. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Rotations. What I think we should have done here, by the way, Alex, yeah. is uh, Skyped in, got the band back together, and talked to Johnny Shekels. Oh, yeah. Because he has a similar story with a, a different twist to it, but a very similar uh, kind of thing. Um, but in the scriptures, when Jesus comes across somebody who's basically hopeless and and very much, um, you know, sees themselves as without, you know, without merit, without hope, without anything. He just meets them there in that place and offers himself, offers offers life. When he comes to somebody who's in nice robes and they are, you know, they're, they're Treating this wound lightly and saying to themselves, "I don't know. I just need a little bit more. I need a little be a, be a little more uh, powerful. I need a little more pleasure. I need a little... that person. He takes the time to break with the law and make well, that... sure that they come face to face with the fact that they're hopeless. And I wonder if maybe the the best opportunity for the for proclaiming the gospel is to the people we might be the most hesitant to even like why bother." Right, that person is just going to throw it back in my face. Well, it's it's because to an extent, I feel I was already broken because I already had that meek thought of uselessness and brokenness and nothingness. I certainly wouldn't describe myself as broken at the time, but but the the feeling was the same. <laughs> I, I was already super super down on myself. I didn't think highly of myself, and I think that's that's where Christ. I don't say runs into problems, but when he runs into those kind of people, especially the Pharisees and the rich, they're they're already at a point where they think highly of themselves. When he tells the parable of the tax collector and of you know the Pharisee, the Pharisee thinks the highest that anyone can think of oneself that yeah. he was crafted and made in some special way where he's not like anyone else and he's he's this unique special being and and the tax collector knows he's scum and knows he's awful probably because people around him 
told him that every day mm-hmm. that he was scum right. and he was useless <laughs> and he was terrible and they, they the people in his life probably were already breaking him down and 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 there's something about having a lot and thinking a lot of oneself that doesn't allow you to come to that point where you admit that you need to have you need help you need someone outside to step into your life and fix things for you because that certainly wasn't my mentality uh, growing up uh, again largely because I'm not I'm not I'm not broken there's nothing wrong with me there's something wrong with society there's something wrong with this there's something wrong with that this is just how life is we're all just you know mutations of cells so <laughs> right. yeah what's the point what you know what what really is the point but and, and we're not even the ultimate expression of anything we're right. just another link in a chain and on on the way somewhere but no one knows where and maybe it's good and maybe it's you know that we become extinct who knows who cares but my my point is that like growing up in the 80s and then in the the you know early to mid 90s you know the the goal is watch a watch an 80s teen movie right there's no nihilism to be seen really there's the weirdos with the new wave black on and stuff, right? There's that. But even the teenagers are so, like, Reaganomics materialist, yeah. right? So the goal is, I mean, if I can change the timeline so that that 4x4 is in my garage when I get back home, if, if I can, you know, if I can have more, then that's the happy ending, and I feel like that is – it's hard to break through that and bring the gospel. Obviously, it's not easy to talk to I – mean, I mean, I don't know how many encounters you had with your neighbor yeah. where you just either laughed in his face, probably blasphemed in the name of Jesus. All the time. And, yeah. and, and so it's not like that's easy. But he must have been able to see in you. You know, you, you couldn't even see in yourself probably what he could see in you. You're, you're very close to the kingdom of God, like Jesus said. You're, you're – 90% of the way there just in, in in seeing in you that you weren't completely sold on Alex and and that you weren't self-sufficient. There, there wasn't anything great on the cusp of happening. Basically, you were going to be worm food and you knew it. Yeah. And and I'm sure, I mean, if, if he was, uh, you know, being led by the Spirit, he probably could sense, too, that you were... Even where you postured and, and acted like, no, I'm cool, I don't need your Jesus, there was just an emptiness there. Well, I mean, he, he told me that he prayed about it every night. We met, wow. we met, we met when we were, gosh, me and Daniel met, probably when we were seven or so, uh, because that's when we moved into the neighborhood, and and, you know... I think a seven-year-old kid can be friends with pretty much any other seven-year-old kid, you know? Right. Uh, because, like, the weird divisionary stuff doesn't start happening for a while. Right. Raphael's my favorite, too. Okay, we're best friends. So, so we became fast friends then, and this didn't happen until I was 19, you know, 20. He said, I'd pray about it every night. And he told me there were times when I didn't see a point, and I didn't see a... I, I, and he even said there were times where I felt like I should say something and I didn't say something. Right? I, I felt like I. So I mean, there's going to be dips and, fa- and, and, and failing because we are falling. Fa- you know, but 
But I mean, I think that I think that his faith was in the right spot. That I mean, it wasn't going to be him. It was going to be God who works this work in me. He's going to change my heart. He's going to pull me to him. And that needs to be where his faith is. It's not in any cleverly devised human argument, right? Where he's going to put together some perfect apologetical argument that's just going to trump, you know, any kind of nihilistic argument I can come up with, and mm-hmm. he's going to win me to Christianity. Uh, he, he was just, it was just try hard, just keep pushing forward, just keep saying it, keep saying Point it, keep across. saying it until until I actively kick him out of my life. Until I move away from that neighborhood and want nothing more to do with him and block him on Facebook and, you know, you just keep pushing the gospel into this person's life. Uh, and and I think, I think that there's just, uh, I think that there's just amazing biblical warrant for that. I think that, I think that to, to constantly be pushing after someone who, who should know better. Jesus' own family, you know, people that should know better that Jesus is the Messiah. His brothers, right? You know, these people should know. Uh, reject, 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 until, you know, until something gets worked inside of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think I was at such a point of hurting and such a pre- period of pain, and I didn't know how to deal with that. And the people that were preaching and speaking into my life were people that were all about wearing your feelings on your sleeve all the time, 100% of the time. There is no social gathering that is not okay to express how you're feeling. Thanksgiving, dress in black. Christmas, dress in black. Push that pain outwards. Make other people feel that pain uh, because there is no answer for it and there is there's nowhere to go with it. So, you know, why not make other people feel it? You know, make other people hurt, too. And really, when we get down into a lot of the national tragedies that we see in school shootings and stuff like that, I feel like that's what's behind it. Oh, for sure, yeah. I feel pain. I don't have a way to express it. And it's your people's fault. And I hate that you don't seem to be feeling the same pain that I am. So so let me give you a taste of it. I'm going to bring it. I'm going to bring that pain to school or to the bar or to wherever... To the, to the Jewish synagogue, wherever you are. I'm going to bring that pain there, and I'm going to make you feel me, because this is all I have. This is all I have at this point. And that's really where I was. Uh, and I'm, I'm just so incredibly indebted and thankful. I mean, I mean, obviously to him, but also to God, when I can sit there and blaspheme his name and hate him with everything that I have. And looking back on it now, I can see how I actively hated him, not just ideas or philosophies, but him as a being, uh, and and I can sit there and I can cuss at you and I, I can belittle you and I can be the person pulling out your hair and spitting on you and slapping you and this and that and you're still going to go to the cross for me, you know, you're still going to choose me and elect me. What's with this? There's the real, you know, why, why I I, I can't I can't hide I, I don't have an answer. For that now, that's the new question, you know, isn't what's the purpose and what's the point? Now I have that answered for me, but it's why, why in this way? Isn't there a better way? Isn't there a then then you know to to, to save me and, and choose me? Uh, that's a better question to uh, sit there and, and yeah. mull over. Yeah, 
Right. Well, and it and it and it definitely it definitely makes you, uh, I think, I think more tempered to want to see other people saved, and 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 maybe more sensitive to other people who are feeling extreme pain. Uh, and recognizing it's not going to probably manifest itself most of the time in. I'm weeping and saying, will you come over and talk with me and tell me about Jesus? But rather, it's going to manifest itself outward in lashing out or uh, denying it. So so here's the question, man. What is What should the church be doing right now? And, I, and I'm going to say with the Tide Pod generation, what I don't mean <laughs> is that they're all, you know, a bunch of idiots out there eating Tide Pods. I mean that now, just like my generation, your generation had... Uh, our ways of manifesting this stuff. Now in an age when it, it looks like this and you got a bunch of people being written off, what should the church be doing to bring the gospel to to people who are really quickly discovering? I mean, I wonder if... I mean, I know it's part of it is just short attention spans on people in general and getting shorter because of inter- uh, technology, but I, I wonder if part of the reason... Oh, no one's there anymore. No one's on Facebook anymore. Well, that's because everyone's grandma's on Facebook. But now it's Twitter. Oh, no, it's not. It's Instagram. It's Snapchat. It's this. It's moving around because none of them are, are paying off in any real way. Right. What does a church do to come in and say, we know why you're feeling like this and why you feel like nothing matters. And, and here's something substantive that can actually speak into that pain and bring meaning to it. Yeah. I think I think I think a big a big part is action, uh, not just not just getting together every Sunday and singing some good hymns and hearing a good sermon and then going home and then living your life and living your life as Christian as possible and I'm going to focus everything I have on my personal holiness and my personal this. That's a good thing and everyone should be doing that. But what are you doing to speak into other people's lives? You know, I think that I think that as a culture, and in, and and the church has suffered from this. Is it's so consumerist? It's it, it's so. What can this church give me? What can this what, what can this people give me? What can they do for me? And it's what can I serve here? Can I be a productive member of God's kingdom here? That needs to be the first thing that I ask. Uh, in in any congregation, and in, in any case, when you when you meet someone on the street, and you're, you know. What can I do for this person? Not what can this person do for me? What can I do for this person? And a lot of the time it's going to be to preach the gospel into this person's life and to do it with actual words, not just good actions. You know? You reminded me of, uh, was it, who was it at, at the Doc and Devo conference who was talking about this? Was it, was it, was it, uh, I think it was, it was, it was Logan. It was Logan. Yeah. He was talking about like, he said that the word is more powerful than your love. Yes, yes. Right? You know, the, the, the word of God is always more powerful than your love. Does that mean you don't love people? No. You bring them blankets when you see them freezing. Jesus is all about that. James Cup is of all cold about water. that. Here you right? go. Yeah. James is all about Visit that. Visit me in prison. Visit me in the hospital. You know, you know, how dare you open the door and someone says, I'm hungry and I'm freezing. And you say, okay, well, God bless you. get be some peace. food yeah. be warm and, and be warm fat. and buy. And close the door. How dare you? How dare you? No, you feed them. And you close them, but at the same time, you preach the gospel into their life with words. You're not just saying, oh, well, I hope that they'll somehow contrive the gospel message from me giving uh, them a blanket 
in a cup of water. Unless written on the blanket is yeah. like substitutionary <laughs> atonement on the cross. And yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, that's, well, that's, that's not, not a bad idea for the homeless. Right, I mean, exactly. But, but, the, the Romans written out on the blanket. Yes. That needs to be what mission aware does next. Mission aware, get on They don't have the plaques. That. They need to have the blankets that you can give out. <laughs> yeah. We left. That's actually, that's actually yeah, a that, great that, idea. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you actually, when you see someone, and whether you, and we've been talking a lot about hurting and pain, but whether you know they're hurting and pain isn't the question. Even if they're wealthy and, and have the boat and have the retirement home, you enter into their life maybe even assuming that they're in pain. That because, they've discovered at the end of these things, I don't. I still don't feel right because right it, about be, it, yeah. because if they don't know Jesus, you know some part of them is in pain. Whether they're willing to admit it, whether they wear it on their sleeve, whether it affects the way they dress or eat or what, you know they're in pain. You know they're missing something, and you in that moment are going to be the person to give them an answer. But you got to be willing to open your mouth. You got to be willing to say something to somebody. Uh, and I think, and I think that's where a lot of people kind of just pull out and say, "Oh, wait, evangelism is uncomfortable." Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm right out of that. You know, uh, forget that. I think that I think the church can definitely do a lot with opening its arms up more to the hurting and suffering of other people, um, and and not just globally. There's a lot of global missions that deal with providing for poor people, and that's well, and that's great, and that definitely should be a thing, but in your local communities, there are people hurting, and there are people that are just barely squeezing by, if they're squeezing by at all, that that need the love of you as a person, but also need the love of Jesus in their life, and they need to repent of their sins, and, and they need to come to the cross. And they might not know that. Or they may know that, and they just need someone to walk that path with them. Just be willing to grab their hand and walk down that path with them. Uh, By path, you mean aisle. (laughs) (laughs) And and recite the prayer with them. Fill out the card. Yeah, fill out the card with them. them. Yeah, for them. (laughs) But I mean, right, just kind of open, open, open our arms more to that being a reality and to suffering being a reality around us and to people, you know, you know, aren't all so cold and callous and don't care about sin and don't this and do that. And maybe they really do. Maybe they just don't have someone to be honest about it with because all of the buds and all of the boys uh, aren't, don't want to hear that. Your drinking buddies don't want to hear about your sins or how awful you feel at a particular time. Right. We've all gathered together to, to yeah. medicate that and make it go away for a little while. Yeah. So don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you got to be the guy who says, no, let's Tell feel me. it. Let's feel it for a minute. Yeah. Tell let's, me about it. Yeah. Let's talk about pain. And let me open up about my life and share the fact that I felt pain too. I felt hardship too. And, and you're not in this alone. You're in this with other people who have been down the exact same path who have been sinners, who have been, you know, short of grace, and have been provided for at the cross. And that it's that easy. You just got to turn, you got to look, and you got to repent. You got to, but it, it's work, and it takes something out of somebody to do that, and we need to remember that, and being able to do that work with them, even if it means uncomfortable conversation. And, oh man, will my coworkers still like me as much if I'm you know, an open Christian. Uh, you know, 
I think I I also think the church can do better with I want to say providing necessarily ministries for those that are hurting, but but being willing to be there for people that are hurting more and not look at it as something that's uncomfortable. You know, I I was in a meeting at one point and there was a man who was struggling or who had struggled two years previously with drug addiction, serious drug addiction. And he said he didn't feel that at most evangelical churches he could give his testimony because no one wants to hear that two years ago I was doing meth mm-hmm. in an abandoned house. And stealing stuff to fuel yeah. that habit. and yeah. Go ahead, let me near your nurseries. Let me volunteer around you. No. That man's a criminal at one point, right? Forget that. Push him right out. Uh, and, and, and for him to not feel like he can be open and honest about who he was two years ago. This is a man who's sitting at a, on, a, on a board at another church. And he's saying that at most other churches, when he goes and he speaks, he feels like he can't be completely honest because as soon as he is, people are just going to, nope, that's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of person I don't want to help. That's the kind of person I don't want to be around because they're too broken or, they, or at least they were too broken or they're, they're coming with an awful lot of baggage. <laughs> they're coming and, and... I mean, Jesus saved me from stuff too, but yeah, come on, that's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, look at that, right? And kind of making much of other people's sins and not enough of our own. What's Where, funny is when you talk about like people working on their own sanctification in a way that becomes, I don't want to say idolatrous, but I think there, like, like there's a, I, I, I like the White Horse Inn. I haven't listened to it in a while, but I used to be very obsessed with it. And I really like the guys who, who've been on it. And um, Michael Horton used to talk about how our culture was all about furthering the movie that is my life. Like, I'm the star of my movie, and I'm working on, I'm working on it. I'm working on my movie. And, and I think that one of the big shortfalls of the um, erstwhile Young Restless Reform movement was that it became so very introspective that I could spend all my time reading reading Puritans, you know, um, learning about theology, doing all this stuff that's, I mean, it's good stuff, but it's all about me. And, and, and I put my head on the pillow at night and go, all right, I, I did a lot of spiritual stuff today. But at the end of the day, did I do anything that that didn't just benefit my own soul? Right, and and what part of Christian growth is being bold enough to evangelize? Right, you know, I mean, I'm so worried about reading Calvin and Edwards and all this and, and growing in their ways. But but what part of genuine Christian growth is not being afraid to evangelize? Well, what about their congregations? Why do you think their congregations stick about? Uh-huh. Probably because of the people. Because the people left and said, man, I have a neighbor and they need the gospel. And I know that. I know they need that. But when we think about the Great Commission, Jesus did say, stay yeah. and navel gaze. He did. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> That's what I was about to say. At what point did you become go, just gazing so, at your own navel? At, at yeah. what point in sanctification? The answer is word one. Go and make, or, or, you know, yeah, it's a participle, it's a present participle, well-going, assumes being out, you know, like Jesus was, and, and making disciples. And, and we don't want to say that's, that's just evangelism, that's discipleship, that's yeah. every step of the, you know, helping other people grow in their faith, helping other, Absolutely. helping unbelievers to uh, wrestle with this stuff. But if we're not 
even hitting word one of our commission, then certainly we're we're not fulfilling it. We, mm-hmm. We've not even started. Yeah, and 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 you know, that's one of the things that really saddens me because when you when you're talking about the young wrestlers from reform movement, I mean those those are the people that are my age that believe the exact same things I do. I came into it. I think after the giant explosion happened mm-hmm. and like looking around and if it's just about posting pictures of how many books you have uh, and, and all the wolf skins you've filled well, today and, 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 and bragging about the use of Christian liberties and all that what are we doing? Full disclosure yeah, we're, but, we're in the but, smoke right, room but right I mean, now but, but I mean I'm not going to make that the emphasis of my entire Facebook account where it's, it's just just bang, 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 and this is this is all I'm doing. Isn't it great? Isn't it wonderful? And it's like, yeah, it's great and wonderful. And, and, and will someone please argue with me about it? Right. Yeah. And and, and let me be really like passive aggressive and like say something stupid on a comment just to get a fight, just to get the rage out. How about you go and you share the gospel with someone who doesn't believe? And I guarantee you, there will probably be a debate. There will be discussion there, except for this will be maybe arguably productive. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but but it takes a lot less courage to do that online than it does face to face. You know, it takes a lot less courage. Uh, it 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 really saddens me because I feel like these are the people that I'm supposed to be like looking up to, and and it seems that their worry really has become inward navel-gazing that will allow them to posture and peacock online enough where you all should be impressed with me because I'm going to be the next... Can someone give me a book deal? Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, Is there a connection between that and the wearing black and trying to raise people ire, people's ire? And, and well, right. I think, I think it comes from the exact same spot. You know, I mean, now I mean, one is 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 done through regenerate people, and one isn't. But I mean, it, it's all about getting attention pointed at you. As much as I would have at the time argued that I really didn't want people like looking at me and this and that, I certainly would have dressed that way. You know, uh, if I wasn't looking, or, or or at least trying to identify with some kind of movement or some yeah. kind of something. And I was trying to puff myself up as a leader of that movement or a free thinker of that movement, but I'm just copying everybody else, you know, uh, that that is actually up on stage and is screaming and angry and huffing the crow. And, and they're the people with actual platform. And part of me is jealous about that, right? Part of me kind of fetishizes that a little bit. I think that's definitely a part of the Young Wrestlers and Reform movement is they fetishize... Uh, uh, the 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 RC sprawls and that's what I want. I want to be that. I want to have a conference that I run, that I put on, where people can look at me and, and see how vastly superior I am to others theologically. Okay, but I mean, what does this have to do with reaching the lost? What does this have to do with go in the Great Commission? Now, I mean, I. When I bring up someone like R.C. Sproul, that man has had the biggest impact on me, I think, than anyone else, probably. Uh, because that was one of the first guys I started listening to when I came into the faith. Right? So, I mean, I'm not saying that's part of his heart, but I, but 
at some point, when does when do these leaders, when do these books, when do these movements, when do the Christian liberty start becoming an idol and something for us to focus at and something that's going to pull us away from the Great Commission? You know, uh, rather than being worrying about how productive you're being, you know, you know, making connections and making this and making that all around you, what are you doing in your local church? Yeah, you know, what are you really doing in your local church? Uh, yeah. We, 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 Frank Turk has talked a lot about that recently. Uh, he gave up all the. He had a, a platform, huge platform. He'll, he'll, he'll downplay it, but it was huge. I mean, he yeah. had uh, so many people listened to him and 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 held him up and 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 argued with him and all this stuff. And and he came to the point where he just said, "Okay, that's all. I'm, I'm cutting that off, pulling the plug on it because it was keeping him from the serving in his local church. Now now he's doing all of his ministry in that setting." And he's way more at peace. Well, right, and and how much how much good can you really do when all your attention is being drawn in all these different directions? You know how much how much honest good and, and there are some people that I am sure are able to pull it off incredibly well. Right. I look at someone like uh, a Joe Thorn, right, and I go, "You're this is probably something you're supposed to be doing." At the same time, no, I interviewed him once, and he said uh, when his blog was at its best and, 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 and most popular, his church was struggling the most. And, yeah. you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and there are, I mean, there definitely are people who can, they can do all that stuff mm-hmm. because it is part of their calling. Yeah. And, and, and I think God puts that calling on people who can handle it. Yeah. Who it's, that's not going to become for them a, a their, their, you know, their success is their idol. Yeah. I, I I he probably struggle with it at some point, but I don't think Sproul, you right. know, laid down at night and and thought, huh, wow, there's so many people who want FaceTime with me. Yeah, I, I really don't. And, but and but I, think I, I think that myself, I couldn't, I couldn't handle that level of success. No chance. It would immediately become an impediment to my being like Jesus. Yeah, uh, who 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 wasn't afraid to say, you know, and and, and I think that's a. People need to ask that, ask themselves inwardly: uh, Is is public image going to scare me away from saying harsh stuff? Hmm. Right? Because if if you're already a scared, if you're already scared to share the gospel with your neighbor, then it, then then and when you get big and you have the book deals, are you really going to be saying the the hard stuff? Well, if you, to if, thousands of people, if you're just saying it to your tribe and they're all nodding along, right, you're probably yeah. not. But but I mean, but I mean, at that point though, what good are we really doing? Yeah, that's, you know, that you know, is the question. If if we're just producing resources and, and, and focusing inwardly all the time on the church and like like how many cool little niche things can we create in Facebook groups and, and companies and this and that and conferences can we produce for ourselves? I think we've kind of lost our way a little bit in some of our freedoms, in some of the fact that we live in a country and in a place where where, where we can get together and have a cool conference and, and 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 have the social media accounts and produce any kind of book that we want. And the reason you don't see this kind of stuff rising in the house church movement in China and stuff like that, they can't be doing this, you know? They can't because... Because there they are, exactly where Christ told them where the church was going to be, 
persecution. People are going to hate you. Mm-hmm. People are going to think awful, think and say awful and terrible things about you. And you shouldn't expect to be heroes and, and just loved and, and applauded all of the time. And it's almost like there's a sense of entitlement inside of the movement where this is what I expect. If I say something right theologically, I should be applauded or... or right, it's confusing. If- I should at least get a like from my favorite theologian or something like that on Facebook, right? I'm at least worth that. <laughs> Come on, man. Is that what you're driving your worth? You're a son of God. You know, why, why are we sitting here worried about these kind of silly, stupid... I mean, Francis, uh, Francis Chan tells that story about preaching at uh, Master's Seminary for the first time. And in his, you know, and, and here he is worried because here are his professors and all the people he respects. And then at the front row, who is it? It's John MacArthur, right? I went to this dude's seminary. Oh man, he's just he's fretting and he's worried. And his wife is like, "Are you kidding? You're preaching the word of God, and God can hear you. You know, <laughs> that's who you preach in front of every single time, every single time you preach. And this is what you're worried about. This is what you're sweating about. Come on, there's a problem here. There's some idols here." Mm-hmm. You know that need to be dealt with. I think we've said all that needs to be said. I think we've we've spoken definitively on the topic, mm-hmm. solved all the problems. Well, again, but I mean, if <laughs> let's let, let's go ahead and use some reductive logic here. And and because none of these questions matter, and because this whole discussion didn't matter, and because we're going to go to sleep tonight staring into the void until the void stares back. You know what? Doesn't matter. No. <laughs> why don't Why don't we just hit stop on these recorders yeah. and uh, huff the crow? Yeah, that sounds really good. I've got some Tide Pods here. We'll pop them in <laughs> and pop them in. Pop them in. Just pop them. <laughs> pop them right in. Kerplunk right into my belly. No, but I think that's. I, I really think that's a lot to think about, and especially. Yeah. I mean, even in the in the church in America, th- this is my final thought. There is leftover. Still, this notion under the surface that there are respectable people who just haven't quite found Jesus that we need to bring into our church, and in reality, the, our churches are all surrounded by people who are uh, nursing their pain with a variety of different things, and most churches are are doing their best to forget that they're there rather than to say. How can we reach out to them and let them know Jesus loves them? So every church and every believer is going to have to approach that from a different direction and and you know follow the leading of the Spirit. Because, well, like you said, not not everything that's important to me can be important to you, mm-hmm. and that's absolutely true. Everyone needs to find out where your heart is, find out where your gifts are, find out the people that maybe maybe you have obviously the most the most heartbreak for and actually go to those people you know because when I read the Bible I see the apostles going to people not waiting for people to kind of filter into them and maybe if we have the coolest programs or the coolest worship services or this or that I'm going to people and I'm going to where the large collections of people that aren't going to want to buy what I'm selling are you know Oftentimes, Paul's first stop is where synagogues. You know, he 
He'll, he'll go right to the temples. He'll go right to where he knows the people that are going to be collecting and worshiping the people that aren't going to want to hear what he's sounding. To, to a point, he did that, and then he, and then he stopped. But I think that's right. a, a different issue. But you know, we're, my my text this week is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting to me that he the, the spirit said, "Get up, go to that road." Mm-hmm. He went to that road. The spirit said, "That's the guy. Go talk to him." And he was like, "I don't know that guy. Mm-hmm. That guy's a eunuch." That guy's Ethiopian. I'm a uh, Hellenistic Jew. Yeah. He went over and talked to what you're reading. Yeah. And as a result, that guy got back in his chariot after being uh, dunked, uh, baptized. <laughs> uh, <laughs> get my Baptist. After, after putting his faith in Jesus, being baptized, he got back in the chariot and it seems to me brought Christianity to Africa. Yeah. And it wouldn't have gone there at that time if it hadn't been for one guy saying, I'm going to listen to the Spirit and not go, but I could be... And there's a lot of things he could have been doing that would have been good. Quote, unquote. He could have gone and he could have read some more. He could have he could have gone and, and checked in on... It was his job to check in on some of the widows and things. He could have, But he said, I'm going to listen. I'm going to do this. And and that helps the, the continual outward thrust of the gospel into the, the book of Acts. And of course... I'm not saying this is a direct correlation, but when you look at the first two, three hundred years of the church, North Africa is actually where the church kind of flourishes and theology happens. And, and uh, this, I mean, this guy's going to Ethiopia, of course, but, but uh, every encounter has value. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe I, couldn't, I, I could feel a little bit more scholarly or I could look a little bit more holy if I were posting, you know, what I'm doing right now or however. But all that stuff is grass. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, even though, quote unquote, it's on the internet forever. No, it's not. It's, yeah. it's, it's It'll grass. It's coming, it's yeah. going. And, you know, there's a version of the internet coming, you know, just like I can't take my five and a quarter inch discs from my Apple IIc and pop them into my laptop now. Right, it's a problem everyone has. <laughs> there's going to be a day when that stuff is just gone. Mm-hmm. There's there's eternal stuff that we can focus on. Um, all right. Well, hey man, uh, thank you for your time Very well. and candor um, and and uh, Tide Pods and the Crow and uh, Alex. It was my pleasure. Yeah. We just rocked the Casbah. These go to eleven.